if it is true that our behaviors drive our heart, then it's ultimately really important for us to say, what sort of behaviors is God calling us to invest in? To try to cultivate in our own lives. And in so doing, we will grow deeper in our relationship with Jesus. Welcome to the weekly sermon at Gateway. My name is Jason McNabb. In our current Firm Foundation series, we are exploring spiritual disciplines, the habits and behaviors that drive and shape our hearts as we strive to grow and live in Christ. You can find more information about this teaching series and our church's ministry at gatewaycrc.org. And now here's this week's message. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to grab those. Find Matthew chapter 6. Four big books, about uh, two-thirds through your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Find Matthew 6, put a tab there, and then I also want you to find the book of Acts, which is right after John, Acts chapter 16, and hang on to both of those chapters, and that's what we're going to look at today. So while you're looking for that, we're starting a a brand new four-part series called A Firm Foundation, and here's what all this is about in a nutshell. Um... Every single church on the planet since the ascension of Jesus has really fallen under the mission that Jesus gave all of us, which is outlined in Matthew chapter 28, when he says these words, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Go and make disciples. That's the mission of the church. And every single local church has some sort of pithy statement that is similar to the one that we find in Matthew 28. So the way we say it around here at Gateway is our mission is helping people to love and serve Jesus. Helping people to love and serve Jesus. So we want to see men and women and young people uh, become fully devoted lovers of Jesus, and then they would uh, use their lives, their, their work, their education, indeed their very lives, to expand God's kingdom in the world. But to understand our mission, you have to understand how we believe that happens. What does it look like for us to live into the mission of God? And we believe that God's mission is cultivated by living the life of a Jesus follower. So consider this for a moment. What were the very first words of Jesus when he spoke to his disciples? He said to all of them, follow me, right? And that invitation was not an invitation to a destination. Rather, it was an invitation to a relationship with the creator of the universe, Jesus Christ, who would change their life who would transform their life in such a way that they would see that everything that we see, everything that we are, is all about our relationship with Jesus. In fact, Jesus told his disciples that if they were to follow him, they would become like him. And in the first century, the greatest compliment that a disciple, a Talmud disciple, could ever receive was this, the dust of your rabbi is all over you. 
Now, what are they saying when they say this? The dust of your rabbi is all over you. If they're following along with their rabbi, their teacher, their, and their rabbi steps in something like a piece of mud, and they fling it up, they're walking so closely behind their rabbi that whatever he steps in, it comes up all over them. So that is to say, you act just like him. Your mannerisms, your teaching, who you interact with, the love, the joy, the peace. My goodness, you are just spitting image of your rabbi. And in the same way, may it be said of us, when others look at us, you are just the spitting image of Jesus. The dust of your rabbi is all over you. And so here's the question that I want to lay out before you on this January 1st, New Year's Day, 2023. Are you abiding in Jesus? Are you abiding in Jesus? Are you walking with him on the discipleship road? Or has it been that over the course of this past year that Jesus has become a bit of an add-on to your life? And maybe, just maybe, you've begun to ask your, yourself questions like, Where, where's the joy that I once had or that I once experienced abiding with Jesus? Where's the love? Where's the transformation? I'm not experiencing much of the presence of Jesus because as we learned last week on our Christmas Day service, that a relationship with Jesus, it's not merely a religion that we follow as Christians. It is a relationship that transforms us. And so the question that we have to ask is, are we abiding in Christ? Do we know him personally, the way you would know a spouse, the way you would know a friend, the way you would know a confidant? Do you know Jesus? Or has he become an add-on? Ask yourself that question as we continue on this morning. So here's, here's what I want us to see right off the bat this morning. When we look at the life of Jesus, we see that his life was all about relationships. This is the first note I put in your note sheet. We see that there are three relationships that Jesus cultivated. The first was his relationship with his heavenly father. The second was his relationship with his disciples. And the third was his relationship with those who did not know God at all. And so we see that the pattern, the behavior for Jesus and for his disciples was that their lives were all about relationships. And so here's how we say it around here. When we talk about our mission, mission, helping people to love and serve Jesus, we then have to ask ourselves, how do we believe that happens? What's our vision? And the way that we say it around here is we want to be, number one, biblically serious people of faith. And so like we learned last week, we believe that Jesus is the Word of God. And so to know the Word of God is to know Jesus. And to know Jesus is to know the Word of God. And the only way that you can know Jesus is if you open up his love letter to you and you understand his attributes, his law, um, how he calls you to abide in him personally and daily. The Word of God is the gateway into a relationship with Jesus. So we are biblically serious people of faith. Number two, we are community-driven. We find in Scripture that there are roughly 66 one-another commands, not advices, commands for how we ought to be interacting with one another, cultivating faith, inspiring faith in one another. And then number three, we are to be relentlessly missional. That's our relationship with the wandering world, that we would be a signpost, a beacon, a light to those who, who do not know Jesus 
that like we read in Matthew 28, we would go and make disciples. We would be disciples who make more and better disciples because that's the heart of God and it becomes our heart as well. So let me define some terms for you. When we are talking about our mission, that's ultimately answering this question. Why does a church exist? Why does a Christian exist? But to seek to articulate a vision is to ask a different question. You can ask it like this. What does a church do? What does a Christian do? And how do they carry out that said vision and mission? What does it look like with feet on the ground to live out the mission of God? And so, in a nutshell, this series is ultimately about our behavior, our actions, our conduct, asking ourselves this question, is your faith consistent with your behavior? Is your faith consistent with your behavior so that it might be said of us, the dust of your rabbi Jesus is all over you? Can that be said of you when you have interactions with loved ones, family members, friends, coworkers, neighbors, classmates, even if they don't know Jesus, they say there's something different about you. My goodness, you're so loving. Why is it that you're so filled with joy even in the difficult circumstances that you faced over the course of this last year? You have so much peace when, when the rest of the world is so worried. Why is that? Well, it's because of the dust of your rabbi Jesus is all over you. So here's what I want you to think about when it comes to matters of discipleship. A, a biblical principle that we need to come to terms with is this. Discipleship is as much about our behavior as it is our thinking. Think about that. Discipleship is as much about our behavior as it is our thinking. Because if discipleship is just about our thinking, what we believe, then we have everything in common with demons. Now, I know that sounds a little bit strange, but consider this with me for a moment. The demons have greater faith than anyone in this room and anyone who's watching online. Their understanding of theology is greater than anyone in this room. Their articulation of the mission of God is greater than anyone here. Their understanding of the doctrines of God that we hold dear is greater than anyone here. And yet, they're not going to be in glory with us. So here's a way of thinking about this. The only difference, the only difference between a believing demon and a believing Christian is our behavior. Is our behavior, our conduct, are we living out the faith that we believe? It was James, the half-brother of Jesus, who pointed this out. James chapter 2, it says, you believe that there is one God? Great, good. But even the demons believe that, and when they consider Jesus, do you know what they do? They go, oh, they shudder because they have such great faith, and they know what he can do. He is incredibly powerful, and they know that. They know with deep conviction that he is the creator of the universe, that he is all-powerful. They believe all of those things. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. And in fact, even Jesus pointed to this. So if you got your Bibles, join me in Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 19. Here's what he says. 
Verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And take note of this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So this is one of the enigmatic, strange teachings of Jesus, the remarkable teaching of Jesus, because we often think of it the opposite way. We think things like where your heart is, whatever you believe in, that's ultimately what you'll invest in. That's where you'll spend your time. That's where your conduct and your behavior will follow. And yet, what Jesus is saying here is that our behaviors drive our heart as much as our heart drive our behaviors. And ultimately, it's about how do we conduct ourselves? How do we live? Our, are we living out our faith on a day-to-day basis? And here's the best example that I can think of when it comes to this. Love. Love, right? What does it mean to love someone? The most common Hollywood depiction of love is that it is something that you just kind of fall into, right? You just like naturally gravitate toward that person because you've fallen into love with them. And now you just want to follow them around like a little puppy. And there's, there's some truth to that. Like I'll, I'll admit it, when I was in university, I wanted to be wherever Julie was. Some of you know the story, but I was a, a worship leader at Dort, and I was with three other worship leaders. Between the four of us, we had to, to decide where all the musicians and singers would go, what team they would be on. And so I sat down with the other three, and I said, listen, you know, I really think that Julie and I should be on the same team because our voices, they're just like so melodious and angelic together. It's like steak and more steak, perfect combination, you know, like we, we got to be on the same team. And then we were dating within three weeks. Or uh, when uh, I, I decided in my first year after English 101 class that I would never take the same class with that professor. And there was four English 201 classes that I had to choose from, but then I found out that Julie took English 201 with the same professor. I didn't want to go to that class, but what class did I sign up for? The same one that she was in because I wanted to be wherever Julie was. So my heart drove my behavior. But for those of you who have been married more than a week, you know something. You know if you've been married more than a week that eventually what happens, that sort of fluttering feelings of love need to be sustained by something greater. Something more valuable. Something more precious, more powerful, more beautiful Something that doesn't come and go based on where the wind blows, but it is sustaining. You need a love that is resilient where, hear this, your behavior drives your heart. Your behavior drives your heart. Now, your spouse might say something to you like, I want you to want to do the dishes. And you say to yourself, who wants to do the dishes? No one wants to do the dishes. I don't want to do the dishes. I'm going to tell you something. You do want to do the dishes because you love your spouse. And because you love your spouse, you're going to do the dishes. Because your behavior drives your heart. And ultimately, the love that we have, the faith that we have, is conditioned by whether or not our actions are driving, our behaviors are driving our love. 
And the same thing can be said of our relationship with Jesus. If you chase after your career, that's where your heart will be. If you chase after your bank account, that's where your heart will be. If you chase after worldly pleasures, that's where your heart will be. Because your behavior drives your heart. Your behavior drives your heart. Your behavior drives your heart. So for four weeks, we're going to look at defining and articulating a vision, which is ultimately a specific set of behaviors of discipleship, of, of what we do because of what we believe. And to help us with that, we're going to look at our second passage, which is found in Acts chapter 16. So take a look at that. Turn there with me. For some context, this is the second missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. And this time, he wants to bring along with him an upstart preacher, a young man, probably in his early 20s, by the name of Timothy. And he wants to bring him along on this missionary journey. And they're going from town to town proclaiming the good news of the gospel. And there are people who are coming to faith. They understand the mission of God, but they're beginning to question or to have difficulty understanding the vision Asking questions like, just how far will we go in terms of our behavior to live out this mission on a day-to-day -day basis? And it's really interesting to me because one of the things that we see from this story is just how far the disciples turned apostles are willing to go to expand God's vision in the world. Take a look at the first three verses. It says, Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. Uh-oh. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so, get this, he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So we don't have to meditate on this for too long. But there's something here that we just have to see. Do you realize what you just read? Timothy, who was a Christian, was uncircumcised. And we might say, well, who cares? Like, why is that important whether or not uh, Timothy was circumcised? Because circumcision was a sign of the covenant community in the Old Testament, not the New Testament. Why does it matter? And in fact, you'd be right. It was even the apostle, the apostle Paul himself who said this to the church in Galatia. He says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. It's not important. For you to be part of the covenant community, it takes faith. And then as you believe, you become baptized or for those of us who are part of the covenant community, we baptize our children. That is the sign of the covenant community in the New Testament that we find is our baptism. And so why does circumcision matter? Well, here's why it matters. Because the Apostle Paul knows that to these believing Jews who he's hoping to influence so that they might know that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that they've read in the Old Testament, that Timothy, to have legitimacy in their eyes, needs to be circumcised. And so he goes through a rather painful experience. Why? Why would he do that? Well, if he was a member of Gateway, he would say it sort of like this, because I want to help people to love and serve Jesus. That's why. That's ultimately why I'm willing to do this. For that principle only. And then we read this in verse 4. 
as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. And again, they're trying to articulate that vision. Just how far are we willing to go to be all things to all people so that by all possible means we might win some? What are we willing to do? And Timothy becomes the example for us. How much are you willing to lay down your own rights, your own liberties, your own passions, your own preferences for the sake of the gospel to flourish? And Timothy becomes the benchmark. He becomes the first example of this. And the outcome we read in verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they grew daily in numbers. So there's two things that we see here when we look at this. Strengthened the faith and grew daily in numbers. To be strengthened in the faith, that is ultimately a quality measurement, right? There's depth of discipleship. People are going deeper in their faith with Jesus. And then they grew daily in numbers. That's a quantity measurement. As people are being faithful to living out their faith in Jesus, becoming a beacon, a signpost of Jesus, and they're interacting with friends and neighbors and coworkers, they're saying, my goodness, there's something different about them, and they're introduced to Jesus, and the church of Christ grows. And once again, Timothy is the example. How much are we willing to lay down our own liberties, our own rights, our own preferences for the sake of the church to grow and to thrive? There's a parable that goes a little bit like this. Give me a place to stand to move the world. And in many churches, some of us naturally gravitate toward just that first part of the sentence. We want a place to stand. We want discipleship to occur. We want depth. We want community. We want closely knit communities. But then there are other traditions like the one I grew up in uh, I grew up in the Pentecostal church, and they were all about moving the world. But one of the things that I observed even as a little kid is it was a revolving door. There's a lot of people who came in. There's a lot of people who left. And ultimately, people felt like they were cogs in a wheel. They didn't feel like there was community. There wasn't deep-rootedness. And so what we, think, what we see as the biblical mandate of the church is we have to do both of these things really well. We need to have a place to stand but we also have to move the world. There needs to be depth of discipleship, but there also has to be a longing, a willingness for, for others to come to know Jesus. And we have to do both of those things really well. So here's the question. How does that happen? How does this happen, both in the church and in our personal lives? What does it look like to be fully devoted followers of Jesus who want to invite others into the fold. And to help answer that question, I want to give a little bit of time this morning for you to jot down your answers to the question I'm about to put up on the screen. I'm going to give you a little bit of time to do this, and the question is this. Who or what has God used most to grow you spiritually? Who or what has God used most to grow you spiritually? Not just in the last year, but over the course of your entire life to where you are today. And as you consider writing some of these things down, let me give you a couple of examples uh, just to kind of get the wheels turning. It might be a moment, a pivotal moment in your life 
and maybe it was a difficult circumstance where God ultimately used it in such a way that you were able to experience more of his presence and you drew toward him. Maybe it was a diagnosis or a move or a divorce where your parents got divorced or a change of a job. Maybe it was a circumstance or a situation. Maybe it was when you were invited to church or that relationship with that person who invited you to church. Maybe it was a spouse or a friend or perhaps an area that you have served in as a life group leader or in the extreme weather shelter or in the pantry or serving outside of the church and that was a catalyst of growth for you. Maybe it was an interesting book or a resource that you've read or a teaching that you've experienced maybe in high school or in university. Maybe it was a mentor or a pastor or, or a confidant or an accountability partner. Maybe it was when you shared your faith with someone and it suddenly became real for you as they asked really difficult questions and you said, my goodness, I don't know the answer to that either, but I'll get back to you. What are the most significant things that have led you into a deeper relationship with Jesus? So hopefully, um, for those of you who are taking notes, you've had a little bit of time to jot some of those things down because for the remainder of our time, it's going to be very simple. I want us to walk through some of the catalysts that we find in Scripture for spiritual growth. And the reason why we're doing this is very simple. If we believe that it is the mission of the church to help people to love and serve Jesus, and if it is true that our behaviors drive our heart, then it's ultimately really important for us to say, what sort of behaviors is God calling us to invest in? To try to cultivate in our own lives. And in so doing, we will grow deeper in our relationship with Jesus. So I have identified six catalysts for spiritual growth. And truth be told, four of the six of them I have found everywhere. There's nothing new here. Ultimately, I think they're very clearly defined in Scripture, that these are ways that God's people grow. And also in many, many books and resources, you see the same iteration of these things time and time again. But I, I've added two more at the end, and I want to convince you that these are also catalysts for growth. And we'll talk about why in just a little bit. So here's the first one. The first is practical teaching. Practical teaching. When people talk about teaching, they, they usually mean that there has been a, a person or a group of people who have helped them understand more fully what it means to live out their faith on a day-to-day -day basis. It's not just information. It's how do I not only learn what Scripture says, but conduct myself in such a way that I try to live it out to the best of my ability with the help of the Holy Spirit. And it challenges them to go deeper and to act. And the Bible comes alive. I'm guessing that, that many of you have identified a person who has taught you. Maybe it's a, a teacher or a professor, or a pastor, um, or a college professor. We see this ultimately in Jesus. Uh, I read to you Matthew 6 already, but in Matthew chapter 7, it ends this way. It says, when Jesus had finished these, saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, and not as the teachers of the law. So practical teaching 
has changed many lives. For me, it was my pastor that I grew up with in Belleville, Ontario, John Bisser. And then when I got to Dort, it was my pastor at Dort, Aaron Bart, uh, whose brother, Adam Bart, is a member of our congregation. These two men in particular have not only taught me many things, but they have challenged me to put my faith into practice in very practical ways. Who are the people or the teachings or the resources that have led you deeper in your spiritual growth? Here's the second one, private disciplines. When people talk about growing in faith, it's often accompanied by matching behaviors. And one of the things I'd want you to note here is that it's often scheduled and prioritized. Um, it's, uh, they've made it a priority in their schedule, something that they do on a recurring basis. And so we've talked about this already, but like, if you love your wife or if you love your spouse, then do the dishes, right? Clean the table. Cook, do what they ask, and, and, and vice versa, because your behavior drives your heart. Your behavior drives your heart. Your behavior drives your heart. And I think in the same way with spiritual disciplines, there are moments in our lives where we say, oh, you know what, I just want to hit the snooze button. I don't want to get up and do my devotions this morning. I don't want to get up and pray. I don't want to cultivate this habit. It's too difficult. It's too challenging. Right? Or you sign up for a life group and that Wednesday or Monday comes, you're like, I just don't want to go tonight. We have to cultivate these habits in our lives because we know that they're catalysts for spiritual growth. So we prioritize them. As a pastor for the last 10 years, uh, I've been able to talk with many people, many of which have, have shared with me things like, you know what, I just feel like I'm, I'm farther and farther from God. And one of the questions that I will ask them has to do with spiritual disciplines. I'll ask them questions like, well, how's your prayer life? How have you been prioritized scripture reading? And they will often say the same thing. That's oh, just not great right now. I haven't been doing much of that. And I don't say that as an indictment, but to help us understand how we grow in faith. That ultimately, if we want to have a good relationship with Jesus, we have to cultivate the relationship right? The same way we do in your marriage. Like if, if you're not dating your spouse, right? If you're not creating quality time with them, you're not going to know them and you're going to wander from them. Even more so, we have to cultivate these habits as we engage in these disciplines with Jesus. So it often starts with scripture reading and prayer, but it often leads to things like journaling or reading books or fasting for seasons or memorizing scripture, listening to worship, sacrificial giving, serving. And here's the really cool thing about this. It doesn't happen just over the course of like a particular season. Like we're, we're starting life groups today. You don't have to wait for spiritual disciplines. Or we, we worship on Sunday morning, but not on Thursday night. You don't have to wait for Sunday. You can cultivate these habits on your own right now, today. You can make that choice every day without the assistance of anyone else. Here's the next one, providential relationships. Providential relationships. It is almost impossible to talk to someone who has come to know Jesus who doesn't have a providential relationship. Whether it be a spouse or a coworker or a parent or an accountability partner, a roommate, a youth pastor, a coworker, a life group leader, someone in your life who has cultivated healthy conversations about your faith in Jesus. 
I have had many over the years, but a couple that come to mind for me is my relationship with my close friend, Tim Keep. He was here the day of my commissioning four years ago. And he's now a pastor, and I'm a pastor, and we continue to cultivate that relationship. Another one was my friend Josiah. When we were in high school, I wanted to be like him. He wanted to be like me. And we spurred one another on, even as high schoolers, to, to try to go deeper into God's word. And, you know, many of you know my, my story, that I've come from a, a rather difficult family of origin with both of my parents. But this is especially important to me because as I look throughout the pages of my story, it is filled with providential relationships, with mentors, with pastors, with counselors, with confidants, with parents, with friends, people who spoke into my life to make me the man that I am today. It is entirely because of these providential relationships. So here's my encouragement to you and my plug for Marcel. I got you, buddy. Next time Marcel asks you to be a summit leader, or an edge leader, or to do cadets or gems, consider it again. Because you never know when God is going to use you to be that providential relationship for someone else. So if you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, here, here's my encouragement for you. You need to have a providential relationship, and you need to be a providential relationship to someone else. Because my hope and my prayer is that the experience that I had of the church, how the church enfolded me through so many significant relationships of mentoring and encouragement and support, that there will be many, many others who have that exact same experience. We need providential relationships. Here's the fourth one, personal ministry. And this is where we serve others. And when we serve others, it causes us to grow. Did you hear what I said? It causes us to grow. It's not just that we're ministering to others and we're doing it in an obligatory way. It's that God is actually causing us to grow in the very service that we are doing. Think of it like, a, like train tracks that have two tracks. In the one sense, Jesus Christ has called you to himself full stop. Before you've done anything at all, Jesus has set his love on you. And it is not condi um, conditional it's not contingent upon anything that you have done. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were far from God, Christ put his love upon us. And so it is all about God's love for you. But Jesus also knows something. He wants to include you and to have you make a contribution to help you build the kingdom of God. And in so doing, it will cause you to go deeper in faith. It's not just that he wants to use you in the same way that we are tempted to use God, but God wants to help you cultivate your gifts for you to grow in ministry. Some of you will remember a couple of months ago, we did our Exodus series, and I talked a lot about the avodah of God. And it was interesting because the word avodah is the word for worship, but it's also the word for work. And it's also the word for ministry and service and slavery. It's all the same word. And in the same way, as we consider our avodah today, how has God called you to serve? How has God called you to bear out your avodah, both within and outside the church? What is your avodah? 
For some of you, it might be cultivating a healthy home in which children can flourish and grow. For others of you, it's your vocation in which you earn employment, but you also influence others as a teacher, as a professor, as a real estate agent, as a farmer. And for others of you, it's a combination of things. You're serving within the church, you're volunteering, you're stepping out in faith, you're also working. God's putting all these things together to help you make a kingdom contribution in the world. But ask yourself that question, how is God calling you to serve? So these are the, the four that, that we hear all the time, but I want to lay two more very quickly at your feet that I think we also see as catalysts for spiritual growth. Number five is purposeful outreach. Purposeful outreach. And the idea here is that when you share your faith, you also grow. And we find this in Philemon 6. It says this, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of everything that we have in Christ. So when we share our faith, we grow. When we share our faith with others, we grow. And maybe you have shared your faith with a friend or a coworker or a neighbor. Maybe you've joined us in our Pi Squared initiative where you're praying for, investing in, and inviting others who are far from God in your orbit. And over the course of the last few months, you've just been praying daily, getting on your knees daily for these people who are far from God, asking God to divinely intervene in their lives for them to see the joy that you have found in Jesus. It is such a vital element of our faith, but it is also a catalyst for growth. We grow as we do those things. And then here's the sixth and final one. Pivotal circumstances. Pivotal circumstances. So these are defining moments. It could be good or bad, but honestly, um, I have observed as a pastor, they're often bad. These are often circumstances that no one would ever ask for. But God uses them in such a way that he turns them into visible reminders and memorials of his grace in your life in ways that he has sustained you in difficult seasons and where you have been brought to your knees, but in so doing, you have experienced the radical grace of God. And so for you, maybe it was a diagnosis, either your own or a diagnosis of a loved one or the death of a loved one or the loss of a job or, or a move or the loss of a child. Things that we would never ask for, these circumstances that we would pray against. And God uses them in such a way that he reveals himself even in the midst of these terrible tragedies and circumstances. Maybe that made your top five. And so here's why I felt it was important for us just to take a little bit of time to evaluate and to articulate the ways in which God's people grow. Because if we are to understand that our mission is to help people to love and serve Jesus, and if it is true that these are the ways that God's people grow through practical teaching, through uh, private disciplines, providential relationships, personal ministry, etc., if these are the ways that God's people grow, then what we are called to do as a church is to try to cultivate these habits in the lives of God's people so that we can grow and thrive. It is why we do what we do 
And remember what I shared with you at the beginning. Discipleship is as much about our behavior as it is our thinking. So here's the question that I want to ask you, and, and then we'll close. The question that I want you to take home with you today and for the course of this, uh, the, the remainder of this series as we move forward. Would you choose today to place yourself in environments in which God's people grow? Would you choose to take those practical steps to experience the growth that God wants to have in your life? The personal relationship that he wants to have with you, that he wants to cultivate, that he is waiting for, would you make those choices in this new year to cultivate those things? You've been listening to the latest message in our Firm Foundation series, focused on the practical habits and spiritual behaviors that lead to growing in Christ. You can find more information about this series and our church's ministry at gatewaycrc.org. I'm Jason McNabb. Please join us next time on the weekly sermon at Gateway.